Today's episode is brought to you by Dreammaker Racing, the New York bred specialist. From top quality New York bred racehorses, Hall of Fame trainers, and unmatched hospitality services, Dreammaker Racing has everything to offer when it comes to owning a racehorse. Have you ever imagined what it's like to see your horse cross the finish line first at racetracks like Saratoga or Belmont? Well, now you can. Dreammaker Racing will put you in the winner's circle. Call today at 518 518- 587-5550 or visit DreamMakerRacing.com and let us make your dreams come true today. Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of the StuCast. I am, of course, your host, Stu. Uh, we're back after a little bit longer of a, a break than what we normally give you. Uh, before I jump into that, previewing this episode, giving you a little heads up on some things going on, please like, rate, subscribe, find us wherever you get your, your podcasts and, and hook us up with a nice rating. Um, and then of course, check us out at, uh, at Stewcast Sports on Twitter. That's at Stu, S-T-U, Cast Sports. All right, so... Uh, like I said in the last episode uh, with uh, Sean Belizean and Phil Steele, great episode. Still has some uh, very real implications to, to the sporting world now and in, in the near future. Uh, I, I was going to be out of pocket for a little bit. So, excuse me. I'm sorry. This it, It's taken till Thursday afternoon to get some stuff done, but um, it's here. Next week... I uh, expect a later in the week episode, but it's going to be a absolute bonanza uh, all-star cast for the Kentucky Derby, and it'll be a long episode. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna try and shoot to. Uh, I'm gonna try and hook you up with as many as many ideas for for all the big races going on Saturday, not just the Kentucky Derby. So. Uh, expect that next Thursday. That's that's what I'm spending my my uh, week kind of getting after Thursday or Friday. Uh, that'll drop. Just depends on uh, when some interviews take place. So uh, outside of that, after after that, we got a huge SEC preview um, that'll take place in in the weeks following, and not to mention an NFL preview. Uh, that we're gonna mix in there. So, uh, currently, you know, reaching out to folks and trying to get some good folks on there to uh, chat up some NFL. Um, hopefully, I, I get some good people. You know, it's real tough. It's it's been pretty pretty easy to get. You know, some great college football content, some good NBA stuff, and baseball stuff. And football has just been eh, it's been a little tough. So. Um, I'm working hard and diligently to to bring that to the table, but that's kind of the the heads up. You know, we're gonna probably start dropping these Wednesdays and Thursdays, and um, just give me a little bit more time to uh, get some things shored up. But you know, you will get one a week. I promise, you will get one a week. Uh, that said, today's episode. Um, we're talking basketball. It, it, my friend Gino Bucoli, he joins us. 
he, uh, me and him went over the NBA playoffs. This is uh, shortly before the stoppage. This was on Monday. Uh, we get into a little bit of Dodgers and Padres baseball. We talk a little college football and even a little wrestling, right? I mean, we're a bunch of uh, nerds, and so we, we like wrestling. Um, but that's Gino Bucola. That's what G said is a podcast. Uh, if you want to go check him out, he's he's in the front part. And then backing him up, get into a little bit more basketball with Pistons Thoughts, at Pistons Thoughts on Twitter. Uh this dude is is phenomenal as far as uh, my basketball team, the Detroit Pistons. He he covers them, he follows them. Um, he's constantly putting out really cool things. I uh, pissed off Luke Kennard, so we'll get into that. Uh, not to mention, we're going to take a look at the draft too. The the drawing for the NBA draft. If you missed it, just happened. We're going to kind of take a look at some of the players to have your mind. Uh, keyed in on and they're not all from the United States so uh, we'll take a look at that and and we'll talk some Pistons of course Uh, I mean can't have Pistons thoughts on without talking Pistons so we're going to talk Pistons and and that'll be the show this week and we'll be back next week so I guess without further ado I'm gonna let you go get into the podcast with Gino Bucola Thanks for all the uh, listens recently. Thanks for all the follows. Uh, much appreciated, much obliged, and and hope you enjoy the show. Later. All right, perfect guy to start off the the week with. He is uh, returning, a returning champion, back to the stage. Gino Bucola. Man, thank you for taking the time. Oh, I'm glad glad to be back with you once again, the uh, the, the champion. <laughs> once again, <laughs> hey, hey, Gino. You know, I I know we got a lot of really positive feedback. People who hadn't heard you before um, from our last uh, foray, but we've got some new listeners. Where can the good people find you and and find your podcast, which is phenomenal. Um, Thank you, buddy. And something I'm listening to in the gym, and you're getting me through my entire workout, so I appreciate that. Oh, yeah. it's uh, The podcast is called That's What G Said, and you can get it anywhere you get your podcast. You can follow me. I do most of my social media stuff on Twitter, and the handle is uh, It's Me, Gino B. I'm also still uh, all over on Facebook, do a little Instagram, but most of my stuff's on Twitter. And, yeah, and the podcast, anywhere you can go, get your, your podcast and variety is is what i like to talk about you're always going to get horse racing some some plays for the 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 upcoming days you're always going to get a little bit of wrestling on the show but i'm going to cover everything baseball basketball football now with football season coming up in a few weeks i do previews of every game every weekend and then what i'll do is i'll take a few days i'll go and i'll watch because you know on a sunday you don't really get the opportunity to watch all of the games. You know, we're like, we're watching red zone. Maybe you're locked into one game early slate. And then maybe the, the Sunday night game you're watching, but there's so many games going on. You can't really focus. So I'll always go back on Monday and Tuesday and then rewatch basically every game that I didn't get a chance to in that really cool NFL.com where you can see every play in like 20 minutes. So it ends up, you know, really helping. So I'm excited because football, it, it, we, we have really big shows on that's what G said. So it should be another really good year. 
Oh man, you know, uh, and I, I got a, a few things coming off of that because I want that's a great starting point. Uh, first thing is I appreciate you hiring guys that look like they're homeless people, like Ryan Dickey, to come on. Um, that's a <laughs> I love Ryan. Ryan's my boy. He's my guy. Uh, He's a good dude. He knows the stuff uh, for sure. No, that dude. conversation you guys had about the Derby is well worth a, a re-listen. There's some evergreen content there and in the second part what you just said man it is tough if you are a sports fan right now it's even tougher if you're podcasting about sports i don't know about you but i'm like i'm like lost in the wilderness here i don't know what to watch when to watch it we got little ones at the house and they require attention too and it's like i i feel like i'm constantly behind uh, are, are you in the same boat? Oh, it's, I mean, like I said, cause I'm covering baseball right now, basketball, wrestling, you know, so like last week's show, or for example, the show that I'm going to have coming up this week, I'm going to have an old wrestling recap where we go over uh, an old survivor series from 95. I'm going to recap what happened at SummerSlam. going to preview the WWE payback pay-per-view coming up this weekend, go through everything that's happening in the NBA playoff series, preview the next round of the series or just update we always do a who's hot, who, what's, who's hot, who's not in baseball. And then I'm going to have Friday and Saturday racing for Del Mar and for Saratoga. So that's just this week alone with, you know, five, six different things. I don't even know how you manage it, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, some late nights. It's just what's nice is that I'm really lucky that right now my girlfriend is I'm lucky she's home now with the baby because everything that's been going on she works in the hotel industry so she their hotel has not been open for since everything so she's been home for the last six months and that just makes for me flexibility I don't mind staying up late and recording things at three or four o'clock in the morning so it just makes it a little bit easier for me to know that I can always have a little bit of support and a little bit of help so yeah it's been it's been good and you know um I'm I'm always like I've done Wimbledon previews, UFC stuff on the show, a little bit of hockey. You know, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll really get all over whatever the, the, the people are interested in out, out there. I'll, I'll talk about it. And if I don't know about it myself, I'll bring on somebody else who knows better than me and, and who will keep everybody informed. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Uh, I, I think I mentioned it to you the last time you were on, I found you just by happenstance, but I, it, it's the same kind of show that, you know, I wish I could do. I just don't have enough time to do it. You know, luckily you're blessed to pick up the torch and, and carry it. Um, and like I said, if you're looking for a good podcast, this is one to throw Thanks, man. into the, uh, into the spin cycle there. Um, but you know, you're, you're a West coast guy. Yep. Uh, I, w- I want to do some quick hits before, you know, and we're both wrestling marks. So I definitely want to get into an argument with you uh, based on your predilections in wrestling. But, uh, let, you know, I want to start off your Lakers just, you know, Bron Bron had a game of games against uh, the Blazers. And this is a team that, I, I mean, when we were talking last time, we kind of were all like, you know, hey, the Blazers are, you know, not a team to take lightly. Dame Lillard is is legit. And, man, those the Lakers looked really good in disposing of them. 
Yeah, I think I think Portland's sort of run out of gas a little bit. So we, we're talking right now in the, the series is 3-1. Lakers won by 20. They were up by 30-plus at most of the game and in, in, in the high 20s. And I think having to play so many games in a row that were basically lose and go home for Portland, they've been playing these hugely, massively important games with pressure packed for about two and a half, three weeks straight now. And what happened is they're just not a very deep team. You get past their starting, their starters, and, and, and they don't have Zach Collins right now. He came back for a little bit, but he's hurt. Nurkic, who has come back, he's not nearly, he's not really in good enough shape to be playing these heavy minutes right now. And Lillard obviously is having some issues too. He had the dislocated finger. Now they're not sure what's going on with his knee. McCollum's been playing with a broken vertebrae. And so it's, it's been really admirable what Portland has done. And, and, and hey, I mean, crazier things than happened than for them to come back and win three games in a row. But it just feels like they, you can see the last couple of games, they haven't had the oomph that they had earlier on. And, the, and I think a lot of that has to do with the Lakers' defense. You know, win or lose games, whether or not they're making their shots, the Lakers are locking down on defense. They've been a very good defensive team all throughout the year. And that's one thing that's very nice come playoff time is that, you know, we see it with the Rockets year in and year out. Some nights the shooting isn't there. Some nights if you're going to miss 15 or 23s in a row. You better hope you're playing good enough defense those nights to keep yourself in the game. And that's the one thing as a Laker fan I'm, I'm – very happy that they've been doing so far these first four games in the playoffs. They, this was a Portland team that was one of the best offensive teams in the league and they've really shut them down. Yeah. And, and the Lakers have done it very impressively. I mean, I saw, I saw Bron spot up at half court, just pop a three. Walk three. Back. <laughs> yeah. It's like it, 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 this team seemed like it was, you know, destined to you know come up short and and they're putting all that all that nonsense away and in the rest of the west i don't know that there's maybe the clippers i mean they're and they're not playing well the clippers are not playing well right now that they're it's a 2-2 series when you and i are talking they could very easily be down three games to one they they want uh one of their victories came when they were down by five points in the third quarter and then porzingis got thrown out of the game and then they oh. end up they end up taking you know taking the momentum and winning that game, but they have not they they blew out Dallas one of the games, and that was the game where Luca got hurt towards the end and he came out, and what he did on that hurt ankle in game four hit the game winning shot, and Paul George has really been struggling. He's kind of getting in his own head now too. They, I still think they're going to win the series. They have enough, and Kawhi has been playing very very well, but overall. This is, I think this is something we sort of talked about last time too, is they've been, they haven't uh, been together very much. They had Montrez Harrell who was in and out of the bubble. Patrick Beverly has been in and out of the bubble. He was hurt. Lou Williams has been in and out. Shamit and Zubat didn't get in until late. That's half of your roster right there. And they haven't had a lot of chemistry together. So you, you can kind of see that on the court. I think I heard somebody saying, I don't remember where they feel like, like a bunch of mercenaries or hired guns and they just don't, and which they're still good enough to beat a lot of teams. They just don't seem like they have that, that mesh quite yet. And I Man, think I agree. the more they play, it'll probably get there. No, you're right. I mean, you look at the contracts they signed, they're only two year contracts and it, it, that team completely feels like hired mercenaries mm-hmm. that got together. Yep. 
and we'll run it out there. There's it, it, The chemistry doesn't seem to be there. And doesn't this feel like, you know, every year, every once in a while, I shouldn't say every year, every once in a while you get that breakout series, right? That superstar that uses that series to jump up and become the top star. And, and Luka Doncic, oh, my gosh. It's just coming a, out party. Yeah, it really seems like it is, man. And and that a lot of times can propel you over a better team or or at least a more talented team. I, I mean, we I've heard you make the case that maybe the Clippers aren't that talented. But, um, you know, what do you think about Luka's performances so far? Can he overcome that? And, and can he will them? to the to the west uh finals or is that just maybe a bridge too far i think they can beat the clippers because right now it's become a, a best of three series right now yeah. it's it's a best of three they just got to win two of the next three games and they're in there through round one are they going to have enough to get through the clippers and then have another series and then the lakers and then whoever they'd have to play from the east i don't know i think they're good enough to beat anybody but i don't think they're deep enough to continually do this we've sort of seen it already in this series Luca and Porzingis have already been banged up and they can't, they just won a game without Porzingis, but I don't think they can win another game or two without him in this series. So that that's going to really be the key. We're going to find out game time for, for game five, if uh, Porzingis is going to be playing and, you know, hopefully he is because I guess I just don't think they are deep enough. Paul George is going to start hitting some shots soon. Kawhi has been excellent. And if, if Beverly's able to come back, that just gives them, the Clippers, a little bit more depth. So I'd still lean towards the Clippers, but what's happening is, you know, you get deeper into a series, you get a team like this, and they start to believe, and anything can happen. So, um, I, you know, I'm looking, like you said, the West, you kind of look around the West, and it's unbelievable. The team that sort of struggled, and they lost their first game of the playoff in, in overtime, and, you know, Donovan Mitchell made – he scored 57, but he had a bad turnover. And then they've looked incredible three straight games now against Denver. So it's been a very strange uh, first round series. And it really, you know, the momentum, it's so funny in the playoffs, how the momentum shifts. So many people were given up on the Lakers after their game one loss. They, they thought the Lakers were done and going to get swept like Barkley, you know, <laughs> and then and we see <laughs> they come back three straight. So it's just a, it's a night to night thing, man. Man, I, I saw a tweet you put out on the East Conference uh, talking about the Sixers. I was driving back from Detroit, had a pit stop, bust out to Twitter, and I see first thing what you said about a team that has Joel Embiid should not be getting punked out first round. Ever swept, ever even you can maybe you're gonna lose they got no simmons but you're telling me when you have that guy on the court i playing completely a boston, agree i thought it was and, a great take and you're playing a boston team that has zero depth now if, if they're matching up against the lakers team or a team that is very big and and had a bunch of bodies to throw at Embiid, then i could say sure but boston has nobody they have tice and Cantor. you have to be able to be able to game plan to get joel Embiid the ball easier and to be able to have him win a couple games for you and every time Stevens made adjustments Brett Brown couldn't do it and we find out today that Brett Brown has been fired now as the coach of the Sixers and honestly long time coming it is it's probably a couple years overdue because I just I like Embiid quite a bit and I think you could see his body language when he gets frustrated when he gets a little tired at the end of the games guys can't 
really get in the ball. He, he, you can see it. He wears it very, very uh, apparent, like out there, you know, he doesn't hide his feelings when he's on the court at all. So, you know, I just, you got a guy that's that big, that's that dominant. He can even stretch the floor. He can hit his free throws. There's no reason why you can't win a game or two in this series and at least make it a series. It's, it's 100% coaching to me. And, you know, what do you do with guys like Tobias Harris, who's a max player? He's making 35 to $40 million a year. And he kind of just feels like another guy out there. Well, yeah, I think they, I think they have to let him go. I don't think they can afford him really. It's, you know, you're going to have to find someone you've, you've locked him up now for a few years. You're going to have to find someone who would be willing to take that deal and, and give you something back. Or are you going to have to add in some draft picks as incentive for somebody to take a, a monster contract like that? I mean, what about Horford? You got him locked up for a few more years. So now you got two contracts that do not look good right now. How are you going to move them? And, and who, do, who do you look around to move to? So one team I've heard is maybe Sacramento. Maybe or, getting Horford hey, to the Kings hey, or something look, like a Buddy Heald. Hey, look, you're absolutely right because the Kings just hired Joe Dumars, and God mm-hmm. love him. I'm looking at a signed picture he gave me when I was a kid. Nice. I love Joe D. Um, he is he is a god awful general manager that lucked into a couple <laughs> trades, and it worked out. And uh, God bless him. Thank you for the chip. Uh, yeah, you could call the Kings or, you know, the Pistons are always suckers for that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, realistically, I mean, the East looks very pedestrian. I mean, the the Bucks are really, really kind of struggling with yep. the magic. Mm-hmm. And Vucevic uh, or Vukovic uh, mm-hmm. has really kind of hampered Giannis a little bit and that's been a real uh you know a continuing storyline with the Bucks if if you can get a big man that can hamper and play defense against Giannis uh it's when good times go bad over there yep I mean Toronto to me looks looks like the best team and in in the east and the team that I would pick absolutely right now. I think Miami is going to give Milwaukee a, a series for sure. Oh, I would yeah. Not, I That'll would not be, be a very good series. If Because what's nice about Miami is they're really well built. They're, they're deep. They're versatile. They've got a little bit of size. They've got some shooting. They've got a couple alpha dogs and Jimmy Butler and Drogic, guys who will close, hit big shots for you at the game, go to the rack, get fouled, make a couple free throws. I, they play defense. I think Spolstra is maybe the most underrated coach in the entire league. People never talk about him in that top tier when you talk about a Popovich or a Stevens or now, you know, like a nurse and a Budenholzer. He's in that group. He is. He's just as good as all of them. He's an incredible coach. And, I mean, I've been more and more impressed with them uh, the more I watch them. So, I, I think Boston still feels like they're a big man away. I still don't know. Can they bang with Toronto, with the Baca, and with uh, and with Gasol? Because Toronto's wings are going to be able to match up with with Tatum and with Brown. They're going to throw Siakam and Ananobi and and Powell at you, and they can fight that fire with fire that Boston has. So I think Boston's going to be in a little bit of trouble in Toronto, it, just as far as the personnel. I don't know if Boston has quite enough. Maybe it's all going to be on Tatum. If he's the best player in the series and he can continue to score 30 to 35 points a game, that may be some the sort of the catalyst or maybe the X factor that can lift Boston ahead of Toronto. But in that series, I, I would go Toronto. I think they look 
to me, they're playing like the best basketball team in the NBA right now, period. Well, I'm, I think uh, you know this as well as anybody. Ennis Cantor's been working out with Paul Levesque, and, and he's running those <laughs> ropes, baby. So maybe he can clang and bang down in the post. It's time to play the game. <laughs> uh, uh, real quick, because I know we, we probably won't get a chance to catch up before the NBA Finals. I'm asking you for a very early pick, but just seeing what you've seen, uh, what's your projections for how the rest of the playoffs are going to play out? I would say Lakers Raptors. I mean, and then, and obviously I'm a Laker fan. So there's a little bit of, a little bit of, of home cooking in here, but the way they've started to play now, and I look at the way they're matched up. So if they end up playing an OKC or a Houston, I think that they'll be set up very well there. And it'll probably end up coming down to a Lakers Clippers series. And it'll come down to, you know, like anything, can the Lakers use their size? Can the Clippers use their wings and who can exploit what? I'm going to lean towards the Lakers in what, what I think will be a tight series. And I think Toronto will win the East. I think they'll beat Boston. And I think they'll beat whoever comes out of that Milwaukee Heat. I actually think the Heat might be able to upset Milwaukee there. So I'm going to say uh, Toronto beats the Heat in the uh, Eastern Conference Finals. Toronto Lakers and let's go Los Angeles Lakers 2020 champs. I believe that's what they call a hot take in the business. Um that's interesting, man. You're going to cost me some money or make me some money based on that because <laughs> I'm going I'm to have that in my mind when I'm looking at the, at the lines. Uh, I want to switch gears real quick. Um, your Dodgers are, I mean, I mean, they're, they're living up to the hype that we all thought they, they would be. They, they are, they are who we thought they were. Right. Yeah. Uh, shout out and Danny green, but just starting to play well too which is scary like bellinger and muncie weren't playing very well they've had only when only when i don't bet on them when i do bet (laughs) on them then all bets are off i think i've got like five of their losses this year it's insane they've um if you're just looking at the at run differential the dodgers are plus 79 run differential through 30 games the team that is second in the national league is plus 28. So the Dodgers have a 51 have, have, have 51 runs more in their plus differential than the second place team. Not than the team in the lap, not that the team at the end, than the team closest to them. The, the second team in the entire league for run differential is the Twins at plus 41. So the Dodgers are still f- plus 38 over them, which is just absurd. And they've won four in a row now. They're 9-1 in their last 10. Mookie Betts is playing like an absolute MVP. And they're just playing like a team. They're so deep. The pitching's starting to come together. They have – this is the most confident I have ever felt in the last decade in a Dodger bullpen. That, that's always been a weakness for the Dodgers. That's been something that's been sort of an Achilles heel. Are they going to have enough in the bullpen? Do they have enough quality arms down there? They probably have 10 – bullpen arms that I feel confident in as a fan right now that when they, when they go to the pen and they bring one of them in, you know, as a fan, you don't get that sick feeling in the pit of your stomach. Like, Oh no, this is a, I don't get any of those this year. The, the entire pen is coming in. They're pitching. Well, I, I think if we'd say they maybe have one sort of weakness, maybe they need one more starting pitcher. I've actually heard some rumors of Mike Clevenger who was sent down from the <laughs> Indians for doing some of the, for, for yeah, like misobeying. Keep- the yeah, rules. keep them out the bars after the game, yeah. but he'll be yeah. good. Yeah, so who knows? I mean, if the Indians 
are feeling like giving him away. The Dodgers do a really good job of, of finding those, those players that other teams don't value very much anymore and kind of taking a swing well, on I them. I think the Indians value Clevenger uh, a lot. So I, I, I wonder how much that would cost the Dodgers. Yeah. But, I mean, if Clevenger goes on that team, it's like just – can we just call the season – That'd be your number three or four starter because Dustin May has been really good. Kershaw yeah. is actually throwing harder than he has the last few years. He's he back up like to the mid nineties. Yeah, he, he's he getting like a new guy. It's funny. He told people the last couple of years, I think I'm going to be able to get some of that velocity back. And everybody kind of rolled their eyes and laughed at him. And they said, father time, no way. And he is, he's throwing harder now two or three miles an hour harder than he was last year and the year before. And that makes a world of difference, but you know, I, I mean, for as much the Dodgers are just rolling through things, America's team, the San Diego Padres, our favorite player in the world, Fernando Tatis. Incredible. Man, that guy just looks like a hitter. That That's a ball club that has tons of young talent, tons of guys locked up. Remind me of like a – you know, the the Royals, where you could see it coming. Yep. You could and see it happening. The White Sox are another team that you can see it happening. You can see it coming together. The Padres are that team in the uh, NL. Are, as a Dodgers guy, how, how worried are you about the Padres? They still feel like they're probably a year or two away from being a legitimate, legitimate World Series contender, but they are – absolutely a playoff team right now no doubt about it i think they're maybe the second best team in the national league they i mean they they might be they 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 genuinely might be because when you look at their their team and the way they're built what's really funny is coming into this year we would have expected them to have an incredible bullpen and that's sort of the one thing that they've struggled with throughout the year and yates is is going to be done for the year i think they're gonna have pomeranz will be you know taking over now as the as the, the closer and they need to get maybe another arm or two in the pen. But when you look at Tatis, Machado, Grisham, Fam, uh, Myers, and even, even you know, like Fam and Profar have struggled. But, you know, Cronenworth has been really, really good. Hosmer's been okay when he's in there, just sort of like average. That's enough. That's What they've never really had was the combination of a couple all-stars and the young talent. It's always been – They've had a couple older veteran all-stars and no young or all young, no veteran. They really seem like they have a nice combination of young talent, a little more proven talent. Some guys like Machado and Myers who have been around a little bit, even someone like Tommy Pham. They're very, very well built. And their pitching's coming up, man. The pitching is good too. They, they just seem like they might be missing a piece or two in the pen. Man, they are so fun to watch though. Oh, they are. gosh, they are really fun to watch. They're young. They play with swagger because Tati, the way Machado is one of those love him or hate him players, like the way he plays, he's very cocky. He's got a swagger. But Tatis isn't really even like like that. He just plays with this joy. He, he just is so – he loves the game. You could see it. He's so good at it and in, in every facet of it. He's not just someone that goes up there and crushes the ball. The play he made it from short the other day where he was out way deep in the outfield and made that catch was – just unbelievable and yeah i mean you you, you bring over someone like uh like davies who who has really helped the pitching staff you put him on top of lamette and paddock 
And, and then there's someone like Richards who Richards has always been talented, but he's just never been able to stay healthy enough to put it all together. Hey, maybe in a 60 game season, he, he only has to, to stay healthy for another month, month and a half now. And, and it's, it's great that you bring that up because I wanted to ask you, man, there are a shit ton of pitching injuries mm-hmm. this year. I mean, it's, crazy the amount of pitching injuries the guys that are on the dl i mean it's gonna really i mean strasburg's out for the year i can go you can go through every single team i think every single team has at least two or three pitchers on the dl what's your take on that like how how does that play out is it survival of the fittest now at this point or is it just everybody's gonna get hit hard yeah and and it's like you said that's the the key is with all these injuries is depth we're used to baseball you're injured you miss a few weeks you miss a month and then you're back that's not the case this year you're a lot of these players are done and a lot of it had to do with you know they didn't know what to do in that off season for example, someone like for the Dodgers, Walker Bueller, he is someone who's already had Tommy John surgery. He has pitched deep into the playoffs now a couple years in a row for the Dodgers. He's still young and they still don't want him to have to throw a ton of unnecessary pitches. So in the entire time when during the pandemic, when we didn't know if baseball was going to play or not, and the owners and the players were going back and forth with Manfred, Bueller wasn't really doing much. And, and the Dodgers are nice because their team is so deep, they have the luxury of knowing that they could start the season without Walker Bueller cranked up all the way and still be okay. And not other teams couldn't couldn't afford to do that. Could you imagine another team with with a Cy Young caliber pitcher and and knowing that he was going to be at the top of your rotation, but just like easing him into the season? They they were lucky that they were able to do that because they have you know, the Tony Gonsolins, the Dustin Mays of the world, the Urias, all these arms that can come in and and start stripling another one just eat up some innings for the Dodgers and like you said if Bueller wasn't able to take his time if he came back and tried to ramp up right away and throw six innings he'd probably be hurt too and that's what a lot of pitchers did yeah it's uh I I think it's it's just crazy now that you know you you're I was listening to uh Tigers Indians on my way way back to Virginia the other day. I don't think either pitcher made it out of the third inning. No. And it's like, what What kind of game is this? But hopefully they get around. Um, you know, it's funny. We're talking today. We were supposed to talk a couple weeks ago about Pac-12 football. I got to bring it up to you. Um, Pac-12 kind of dips out on the season along yep. with the Big Ten. Man, you know, I've been saying it to a lot of friends. Phil Still was on last week, and we talked about it. And, you know, it really feels like a self-imposed death penalty because a spring season I don't think is happening. No, I don't think so. And I'm, I'm curious if the, if the SEC, the ACC, the, the Big 12 are going to be able to go uh, without, without any hitches. I have a lot more confidence in the NFL making it through than I do in, in college football, just because, you know, I don't know if you, if you watch hard knocks even, and you just see yeah. everything that's going on with the Rams and the charters, all of the precautions, the testing every day, all of that. You can afford to do that when you're in the NFL. Well, Alabama football. Well, and, and Alabama it, it, football could, 
but is it is the team at the bottom of the ACC? Can they? Is it a team? Some of these teams that are going to try to play that don't have the resources that Alabama football does. Are they going to be able to do all of the testing, provide all the necessary precautions, like NFL teams have been doing? Because they've been doing a, a pretty darn good job so far, and so that I think we're they're definitely going to play a couple games. I think I think we're going to at least get it started. I just keep my fingers crossed that it, it's safe, everything, and they do their best. Um, I just. Like I said, I don't know if college will be able to make it like pro. I just get a, I get a different feeling about the college that, that half are doing it, half aren't, that it's not one big in unison. It, it definitely rubs me the wrong way. And um, as, as someone who's a big Pac-12 fan, obviously with the USC, the way this, this conference, like you said, has been handled for a while, you throw this into the mix, it's just not – Obviously, it's not it's not been a good run for the for the Pac-12, and I think regardless of what ends up happening in the next six to eight months, they need some new leadership, and it's time for a new commissioner. Uh, I got a point on that, but I I think getting back to what you were saying is that you know when you look at the SEC schools specifically, you know, and and it applies to the Big Twelve and ACC schools to some extent these programs, the SEC is just making money hand over fist. So even your, your bottom rung uh, Mississippi state or whatever, they, they can afford to do very comparable testing. Right. Um, And I think a lot of the ACC schools can do that as well as big 12 schools, because they're about to get buku bucks for being the only game in town on Saturdays. And there's a lot of people, including myself, who are partial more so to college football than we are to the NFL. Yeah, a lot of people are, yeah. Um, thanks, Detroit Lions, for that. So <laughs> so I, I think I think it's they're gonna they're gonna give it a go. Uh, and then you, you know, and just like when you're and so does the feel of the season, obviously, is it going to be different? I know we'll be excited to watch, but when you're, there's not going to be a national championship. There's not going to be a playoff because we don't have a couple of the other big, you know, uh, big won't conferences be? around. I mean, I th- no, I, I, th- I believe they announced that there won't be any national championships announced in the sports because there's not enough teams that have decided to play. I think you have to have a certain amount before you can crown a national champion. So that's, is it, to me, one of the, the best parts of college football and what makes it so great is, you know, being a fan of a USC or not, not USC recently, but an Alabama or an Auburn or a, a Clemson is that, and if you lose one time, you're already in some trouble. You're already thinking about it. It, it. It's so that each week is so important. If there's no playoff at the end of the road, if you're just playing for a conference championship or whatever it is, is it going to still have the same feel like college football did where every game feels so, so important? I don't know. Uh, There was a guy that hit up a buddy of mine and he was talking about very much the same thing. Like, okay, well, there's no national championship and, you know, these schools are beholden to the NCAA and yada 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 and and here's my thing to that if if alabama for instance runs the table goes undefeated and clemson runs the table and goes undefeated and both those things are not guarantees by any stretch uh well i think the acc's a lot that that canyon has gotten a lot tighter 
for Clemson. Um, you know, especially with North Carolina when you look at that team. Uh, and, and for Alabama, you know, LSU's not a pushover. Uh, you know, I think Texas A&M has every opportunity to move forward, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, they, there, there's potholes on the path to, uh, you know, immortality here. But uh, the NCAA, you know, these schools aren't beholden to the NCAA. They don't need them. This is I, one of this could be the end of the NCAA right now. In ninety, because- in ninety, oh gosh, two or three, and I, I could be wrong on the on the years. Michigan tried to link up with Texas and USC and a few other schools and break away, create a super, you know, conference separate from the NCAA because they wanted to monopolize the money. They saw what was coming and the NCAA stepped in and there was some kind of parlay made um, depending on what you believe or, you know, allegedly, you know, there, there was some payments exchanged and some things, you know, looked away from, but it's there. The possibility is there. I, I mean, I would have to imagine Clemson and Alabama would play a game at the end of the year, no? You would think. And it, I think a lot of it has to do with, I mean, we're talking in August, and this would end up being December because there would be no bowl season. Remembering now, no, so the bowls will be canceled. Or, I mean, we'll see. it. Maybe it'll be a one individual. Some will play some conference kind of games like you're, like you're saying. But it's all just – who knows? We've had um, a couple of 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 you know uh, the the it's been sort of a roller coaster with this pandemic. You know, it seems like there have been one or two times where it felt like things were sort of getting under control, and then what would end up happening? Everybody would get relaxed and go back out and not wear your mask, not wear your gloves, go party, do all that stuff, and then we'd get all these you know the these pop-ups again where you know one one area would have a have a bunch so it's hard to predict this this year what's going to be happening in four months but you i agree with you i think if they got through that point you'd imagine that the big 12 and acc and and sec would would try to figure something out uh, to, to at least get some sort of a you know bowls or some playoffs type thing between those conferences back to the pac-12 uh, man, th- this sure feels like this. It, the Big Ten's going to come back from you know an off season, right? Man, it doesn't feel like the Pac-12 is. It when you're talking about um, you know teams not needing the NCAA, one talking point for a while has been: Does USC need the Pac-12? And, you know, because sort of how Alabama feels sometimes with the SEC, USC makes the money for the Pac-12, even when they're not playing that well. They're the ones that are on the big national TV games. They're the ones that get that draw attention. So they're the ones that make, make the Pac-12 money. And so it's, it, that's been a talking point too. Does, does USC think about breaking away and think about looking for a situation where they're not playing late late on Saturday nights. They're not um, on a Pac-12 network that nobody gets the rights to on their 
cable and, and satellite providers. It's like in so few homes, you have to just get the app and it's not, it's not what you want for your college football and, and your college basketball and your big college programs. They couldn't get deals with CBS sports or any of the other big, you know, we get, so I, I just, like you said, there's a, there's a bad feeling all around the PAC 12. It's not great. And it's unfortunate that in a few weeks we might be looking up and seeing other conferences other schools playing games and pac 12 not playing games that would really feel bad for the kids everybody who worked hard this year it's just it's man what a crazy 2020 it's nuts and uh you know we we've had a really good conversation up till now but now we gotta switch to wrestling and i was very disconcerted to find you posted up having a nice margarita looked delicious uh, and and gloating about watching S- SummerSlam, whatever that is. Um, oh come on! See, see, I like I like all AEW a lot. I love AEW. I think that people are ge- people are just getting a little too hard on WWE, and and, and there's there there's still some good going on. And I I think that there's a lot of a comparison. For example, there's going to be a big mimosa party match. That's something that the fans of AEW and I think is I think it's hilarious. I think it's funny. But if they were to propose the same sort of thing in WWE, everybody would roll their eyes and say, "Oh my gosh, are you kidding me?" So I think there's to I enjoy my Wednesday nights and right now when now uh, AEW's the next few weeks with basketball going on, they're going to have to be moved around a little bit. Um I just think that that people it, it's AEW's the new cool hot thing and they are cool hot and new and they do provide a lot of things that the wrestling fan doesn't get from WWE. I just think that they, it's, it's weird. Cause it's, it's a good era for wrestling. I love that. I'm able to watch AEW NXT WWE. And you know, like this weekend, I did there, SummerSlam wasn't one of those six hour pay-per-views where we got a ton of filler. I think there were eight matches total. You went through the card. There was nothing that was bad. And I was actually extremely impressed with uh, Dominic Mysterio and the match that he had against Ray uh, against uh, Seth Rollins. It was really, really good. He showed that he's got a little ability too. So yeah, I mean, I th- there's plenty to, to rip on WWE about. I think there's plenty people, people have been fed up with them. It's like the, the old girlfriend you've had for a long time. It's just easy to, and they're always going to be there. So it's easy to just kick them to the, to the side. I just, I think there are still plenty of good things going on. Hell, Randy Orton's having one of the best runs of his career right now. Drew McIntyre looks like a star. We've got a really fun couple months of Bailey and Sasha being main event heels on the women's side. The women's programs have been good. Oscars felt like a big deal again, too. There's just a lot of bad on the other side, too. And so I just, you know, I try to be a more positive wrestling fan than I am a critical of the other sports and then and horse racing i'll I'll rip those sometimes i kind (laughs) of want to turn my brain off when it comes to wrestling and and be okay with the goofy i uh no i get you on that i i've been wwe free for maybe a year and a half two years now and i i had switched completely to either ring of honor new japan right and wrestling was kind of, you know, it's really hard to get those <laughs> unless you're up uh, and you got a, a Sinclair station and at you're up at one o'clock. On, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I liked, I think we sort of talked about this a little bit last time. 
for me, AEW really hurt Ring of Honor and New Japan as far as my wrestling habits and my yep. watching habits because those were two that I would tune in for the big shows. I would try to find as much weekly programming. I was subscribed, still am to, to NJPW um, World, but I'm not, I just, I don't care nearly as much about either one. Really? Of them now. now it's Wrestle Kingdom. Or, and that's it. And that's you know, it. and maybe yeah. a Dominion. Or I'll watch sure. Wrestle Kingdom in the night after Wrestle Kingdom, you know, to see what they do on, on the following show. But yeah, for me, it's just having that AEW there a couple hours a week on Wednesday. And then you can get an, a lot of other content from them on YouTube with AEW Dark and all sorts of other stuff that they do. Then you add in Monday Night Raw, SmackDown on Friday, NXT on Wednesdays. We got the pay-per-views, you know, at least once a month. I... Or twice in or, or three twice weeks. In, like this one, they got back-to-back. They literally have SummerSlam and then Payback is next week. They've never done oh, this yeah. before, which is – it's weird because you would think they'd have a bigger angle to go into it. I think it's just the return of Roman Reigns, and they'll probably be pushing maybe Roman's first match, you know, back. Um, so we'll, we'll see. I just – I do like – I don't know. Did you see the any of the Thunderdome stuff they did? So I I've seen – I literally not have not watched one second of any WWE programming in, in two years. I like I've gone cold turkey free. Um I I've seen the setup online through the rags. And uh, uh man, I mean, you know, it, it was just a matter of time until you know, I saw tonight Chris Benoit picture of Chris Benoit was up there why I have no idea popped up I think fire here, velveteen dream that I mean that whole situation's a mess I mean I guess my larger point is 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 when I look at WWE it just doesn't make sense anymore and for a long time I think you can make the case for the a good portion of the last decade it has progressively not made sense. It's just that nobody was there to be a comparable um, foe and give you alternate ideas on programming. The fact that AEW is doing as well as it is and uh, started off a little rough, but I don't, I can't think of a bad show since January. Maybe yeah. one show I, I wasn't like the bit, world's biggest fan of. Yeah, I think they still have to do the, – the one worry they have is, okay, they got Jericho. They've got Moxley. Who other than those two really feels like a main event star? MJF. I, I, yeah, I'd agree. He, he's, he's on the way up there too. What I don't like is that guys like Kenny Omega, he was the best wrestler in the world before this company, and he feels like he is a total mid-carder. He doesn't feel like anything. Someone, oh, that, like, yeah, someone that, like Hangman Page, who was in the main event in the first show. He's over right now, but he doesn't really feel like much. Even the Young Bucks, I don't know. They've been you know, sort of like flaunting around in the middle. They've had some good matches here and there. They haven't really felt all that important. So I think, I don't know if they were doing that on purpose as, as hey, we're the guys that, that are the company guys. We don't want to push all of ourselves right away. We don't want it to be the Young Bucks, Kenny and Cody having all the titles. And, and maybe that's what they were thinking. But it's weird because those were the people that the company was built on the back of. I mean, I imagine that Kenny Omega was going to be the, the top guy immediately. 
and everybody would be chasing him or whatever it was going to be. I mean, he's coming off of those matches with Okada that were incredible. His run in New Japan where he elevated himself to the top guy. He finally wins that title, and then he's gone. And well, he hasn't- I'll, tell you, I'll tell you, he, he took on the tag team role and mm-hmm. – I mean, and it's, it's not been bad. That, and I that get, tag team match good. against the Bucks is, was awesome. I awesome. mean, one of, the, gosh, top three tag team matches I've ever seen. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's like insane. My my thing, I think, to your point is, I don't think you have a uh, situation like in the WWE where you have Reigns. And you could maybe make the case about Rollins, but I, I'd put Reigns as the top. Yep. You have some guys right underneath him, and then you have a whole bunch of guys beneath that, and some folks beneath that, and it's it's a pyramid, right? And it's been a, for a I, long time. I, WWF has had a problem with creating the stars. I'm, yeah. and that's one thing I I look over and I hope doesn't happen with AEW because we've talked about some of their future stars when you look at and i think mjf is becoming he's right he's just about into that that top level i think guevara guevara is going to get there guevara um jungle boy will get there darby allen will probably get there but that's what you know it's one of those things where we think so they just have to go with it how many guys did we think the same thing about when we looked at wwe through the years right where you look at someone and they're coming up and you go man this guy's going to be a star there's gal's going to be a star or for whatever reason, maybe they're behind the scenes They're you know, backstage, they're not the best, or maybe they get messed up by the booking or maybe well, they you have injuries. Read, you read everything. You read everything yep. I do. Mm-hmm. And you yep. know, VKM, uh, you know, is very big on uh 50, 50 booking. Yep. And so we'll see we, we've had a good, I think this is going to be an interesting time for AEW because the honeymoon period is starting to wear off. This, it's going to be not the new thing anymore. So now that it is, is the fan and that good mojo that we all have, because, hey, like I, like I said, I'm critical of, of, of either, either company, but I like WWE quite a bit. I like AEW quite a bit. And I'm not even going to be as critical of AEW of some things at the beginning because they're new. But once that starts to wear off, are we still going to get these fans – that have been so excited, so rabid for this product. I hope so, because that's as a wrestling fan, that's what I want. I want good, good shows and, and fans that are interested and that support the, the product means you have a you know an opportunity to do that. So this will be a big six months or so for them. From now until the end of the year, now that they're not the new thing on TNT, the new wrestling show, can they continue to build storylines? Can they continue to create stars and put in put on good shows week in and week out which they've done really really well so far you know they're coming up on their one year Mm -hmm. anniversary and you know had we had this talk in early october of last year and i said oh by the end of this they're going to be pushing raw and smackdown in key demos they're going to be you know re-upped by tnt immediately they're you know, their action figure line is going to be completely unfindable. It's going to be sold out everywhere. Um, and that's, that's a shoot. <laughs> I went, I went to go buy my son, one of those Jericho action figures. Cause I was like, Oh, you know, these are really fun. And he's starting to get into that age where he likes things that move and stuff. 
and you can't find them. They're, they're sold out. I mean, uh, if I would have told you this a year ago, I mean, by all measures, they've been, is it, is it AEW's just been really successful or has WWE started, um, declining a little bit it's both i mean wwe has lost a lot of goodwill with a lot of people who stuck with them for a while and it's mainly just from um things sort of some things like you said just things that don't make sense they'll start to promote a big storyline they'll start to build a big angle and then it there's no conclusion to it and they they treat a lot they've done this for a while and where they, they, a lot of the time will treat their fans like we're idiots. Like we won't remember or we're not supposed to remember or that this didn't just happen and we shouldn't be asking questions or wondering and we should just be sitting there watching the show. Whereas AEW so far has tried to do the opposite of that, which I very much applaud. Now, as they continue to go on and on, it gets a little bit harder because you can't please all the masters at once. And right. there's a lot of things that have to do with BTE. And if you're not watching BTE, um, and by the way, the Dark Order, just, oh, God, they pop me so hard. I, I, <laughs> They're great. I, have you seen the BTE from today? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and, my and, God, that and, had me dying. And the Dark Order, I was like, this is going to be the worst thing on AEW when I saw them in October, November. I'm like, this is – just get them off my screen. And they – now they're, they're my favorite thing. They, they needed a little direction. And I think putting Brody Lee there was a great move. I was a little concerned because – the, I thought Brody after losing to Moxley and then I think the same thing with, um, with cage, they didn't feel quite as big anymore, which is not what you want. And so I think the win over Cody moving Brody back up and, and putting the dark order back as sort of a, an important faction is a, is a big help. So yeah, like I said, they're, they're doing silver, their best. Silver and Reynolds are hysterical. And they can work. Alan Angels can really work. Stu Grayson, uh, Evil Uno, those guys can really work. I think I think it's a combination of they're all really good, uh, you know, just talking, and the ring works really good. And I think I think that's overcome it up to a certain extent up until this week. But yeah, I agree. You know, they were missing that big title in in. Uh, Mr. Brody having the title is is probably the best move. Um, certainly, Cody played up that whole, uh, you know, I'm going to defeat as many challengers as I can, but uh, I'm not invincible, and one day I'm just not going to have it. Yeah, and um, I, I don't really have a like a, a not of knocks. I think I think the women's division can still leave a little bit to be desired oh, i think they God, can still yeah. it's, so it's you know the drizzling shits and that and that's the one thing too is that one one thing where i will really applaud wwe in this day and age is that their women's divisions are so deep and they're so stacked i mean when you right now they don't even have charlotte or becky i mean and a year ago ronda was in the mix too you, you take all three of them out and you still have you know oscar and bailey and sasha and you know 
Now, um, Sonya Deville has had a really nice run. She's great in the ring, and she's been really good on the mic. Mandy Rose has started to improve. You know, they, they're – and then you look at NXT, what they've got with the Rhea Ripley's and the Io Shirai, Shayna, who's now up. So their women, they put on – I mean, go, when I go back and watch some of the, the old women's matches from, you know – the uh, the brawn panties matches from the turn of the you know to the early two thousands late nineties it's just compared to what this is nowadays some of the best workers in that company are women yeah getting the cold bass uh, resets that'll be good for you <laughs> um, last question on the wrestling front uh, let's fast forward you know six months ahead right. Uh, you know, assuming there's some, it sounds like there's going to be fans in place and what have you. Do we see AEW get closer or do we see WWE start to pull back away? That's a good, it's a really good question. I don't know if, I, th- I think like AEW and was, was in a good spot on Wednesdays with NXT because NXT isn't the established brand it isn't raw it isn't smackdown i wonder how they would do on a night against a raw or a smackdown i'm very curious and so i think they're both going to be in in a good place and i think with the with the fans coming back because if you haven't like you said you've seen some clips of the thunderdome stuff and i think it looks pretty incredible and i'm not just talking about the the, the people in the crowd, they're going to have to work on some tweaks because when they show the close-ups of the people, that's when it gets a little goofy. Like when you can see the person sitting there on their computer. Oh man, I was but watching the camera angle on something the other day. One of the like, sports, you know, one of the probably basketball or baseball or one of them, you know, and when they no, were doing similar. No, and, it was like, uh, I want to say, no, it was when Roman came in, right? Okay. And he mm-hmm. jumps Bray the camera angle was moving in and out, in and out, up and down, in and out, up and down. And I'm like, what in the hell is going on? I feel like I'm uh, having an epileptic seizure over here. What, what are we doing? I think they'll, the, they've always been very good at production, putting their packages together, putting video stuff together, um, making wrestling. I mean, before WWE wrestling was in gyms and in bingo, it was on TV. It didn't look legitimate, you know, before they, they did that. So I give them a little time with this. I'll tell you this. If you were watching some of the, the stuff in the performance center where there was not a whole lot, and then you watch this, it looks like light and day. It almost looks like an old arena with the lights, the pyro, the lasers, all the stuff all over. It looks big league. They've got to do work on, just the one thing we said, I don't want to see as many close-ups of people. I like seeing where I can just barely make them out in the background and they look like a crowd. That's the shot that they need to, to stick with for the most part because that looks really cool. It looks like the arena is still filled up. And, and that's the thing is just continuing to, to try to make adjustments, continuing to try to improve. We, um, uh, you know, I, I think w, I, I place my trust in WWE because they've They've got such a long-standing track record. And I know that AEW, this isn't like a, a TNA that didn't have a whole lot of money behind them or, or even like a Lucha Underground that they had to worry about this and that. They've got money at AEW. So they're, they're not – if they don't the make network. it – Yeah, if they don't make it, if they – for some reason that this company folds in a year or two, five, whatever it is, it's not going to be because they, they weren't financed and they didn't have their money. 
it's going to be because something went wrong. And I don't, I think they've got a lot of good minds, a lot of good people. And what I've seen in a year from them, it feels like a world where we're going to have two, you know, mainstream wrestling companies going on again. I really think so. And I don't know if it'll ever be as hot as it was, but I think they'll both be able to succeed for a while. 1995, here we come. Right. <laughs> in Monday Night Wars, yep. Hey, Gino, where can the good people find you and what you got coming up this week on the show? You can find me on Twitter. It's me, Gino B. The podcast is That's What G Said. This week, we're going to be uh, talking about the horse races uh, for the weekend from Del Mar for Friday and Saturday, from Saratoga for Friday and Saturday. We're going to go all through the NBA playoffs. Everything that's going on in baseball, we check in with each division. We're going to recap SummerSlam from last week. We're going to preview payback coming up for this week. So, I mean, any NFL news, too, we'll we'll get you. So, just um, over the next few weeks, I'm going to start having big fantasy previews where we'll go over, you know, all the wide receivers on one show and then all the the tight ends on the next and then all the running backs on the next and the quarterback. So, if you're a fantasy football player, make sure to subscribe now. We'll have a ton of fantasy info over the next few weeks. Hey, do do you have any uh, special plans for uh, Derby? Just hanging. Uh, honestly, for me, those those days are – I love to just be home and because I can sit, get my little area set up as comfortable as possible, have my multiple computers, my multiple screens going on. And I, a Derby is also uh, all out this year, I believe, right? It's the 5th? Is it the 5th or the 12th all out? Oh, yeah. No, no, no. It's the 5th. So, yeah, my, so it's Derby. I've already, already put it by the wife like – Yep. September 5th is going to come and I'm going to be dead. I've said the I'm same thing. Dead to the world. I've warned, uh, I've warned the missus the very same thing. I've already said September 5 is going to be one of those days where he gone. Yeah, all no, day but long. For, for the podcast, are you, are you doing a special show for the oh, Derby? Oh, yeah. Well, rolling? I mean, I'll go through the whole field. We'll go through all of the undercard races. On the Derby, I'll generally spend like an hour and a half, two hours on the, on the Derby card all throughout the day. So yeah, we'll have probably a couple different people talking a couple of the different races throughout the day. And we'll be breaking down all the races, probably talking about every horse in, in all of them. I tried to give as much info as possible. And some, sometimes I'll sit there and I'll look up and be like, Oh man, we were talking about a one racing card for an hour and a half, an hour and a half. So yeah. Dude, it's, it's, uh, it's such a weird thing. Cause it's like, I'm sitting there and I've had, I've had the goal like, Oh, Derby week. I'm just going to get an all-star crew. And, and I start texting people and DM and folks. And, you know, uh, I've got some really, you know, just great names coming on. But then I was thinking like, Oh man, like how do, how do I separate this? Because, Gino's gonna have folks on, and Ron Flatter's gonna have folks on, and then the money guys are gonna have folks on, and it's it's like everybody's talking the same stuff. Uh, Steve Bick's gonna have people, you know, it, it's it's like overkill to a point, and you know, it's hard to get much more than ten minutes with folks. Yeah, it's a busy it's a busy time. I do my best to try to get it out early for the reason you said, because there's so many things going on. I'll try to get mine out early in the week and give people the opportunity to listen to it, throw it on the background any any time they get a few minutes. So, um, and then this coming up with football in, in just a few weeks, with the Derby in just a few weeks, with, you know, in the middle of the basketball playoffs, with baseball already halfway through the season. We're Jesus, I know, man. It's I know. Insane. It's not so. It's not so. Uh, 
I, I, I may challenge you. I may challenge you one of the, if we have college football come week four, week five, maybe we put a little challenge out and, uh, Oh, I'd love it. I'd love it. Uh, it, it may be a friendly, a friendly wager of uh, bourbon or something. Oh, that, we'll get, get some going. Blast. That sounds good <laughs> to me, man. Hey, uh, Gino, thanks again for coming on. It's always a good time talking with you. I, I told you, I apologies again, production meeting in the show here. I told you 30, 40 minutes, and we'll wrap up, and, and we went way over that. Nah, so, no worries, man. It didn't uh, bother me. We're having a good time. I'm happy to talk with you. Hey, always, brother. And uh, hopefully we can we can run this back down the road soon again. Very much. We'll That's get you what, on my show sometime soon. Hey, man, as long as you're talking some AEW, I, you know. Absolutely. Uh, if you want me to be positive, if you if you want me to be a very negative Nancy, <laughs> I don't know how Andrew would uh, Andrew Champagne would react to me coming on there and just absolute shitting on uh, <laughs> like an O2 SummerSlam or something. Um, but yeah, I would love that. And uh, that's what G said is the podcast. And right after this, we'll be right back. Hey everybody, it's Stu from the StuCast, inviting you to check out the Starter Allowance Podcast, hosted by Andrew Grismore. Every single week, he's dropping great content with amazing guests and a lively handicapping roundtable, looking at big races every single week across the country. Check him out wherever you're getting your podcasts. He is part of the StuCast Sports Network Let's go play some ponies and let's cash some tickets. All right, we're joined at this time with from a guy that I found on Twitter recently. He's got a fantastic running uh, content stream of consciousness on the Detroit Pistons, my favorite basketball team. He's Jordan from Piston Thoughts, at Piston Thoughts on Twitter. Podcast is Piston Thoughts. Jordan, thank you for coming to the show, man. Thanks for having me, Stu. Hey, man. So, uh, real quick, I want to I send a plug out because uh, I, I really I got, your, I got your podcast lined up from January. I'm really hopeful that you got some new content coming out because this, this season – Going into next year, a very pivotal year for the Pistons. You you gonna be producing something soon? Absolutely. There's there's a lot to catch up on since January for me on my podcast. But um, there's a lot of things to look forward to and a lot of things to be upset and cry about with everybody soon. So yeah, it's coming. Okay, uh, I I know we got a we got a a little bit of a schedule we're gonna keep here, but I gotta ask, why did you piss off Luke Kennard? What did he do to <laughs> Honestly, I have no idea what happened. He he went from fall literally last week he was liking my tweets. Um possibly something I said about Donovan Mitchell. It wasn't related to Luke, but maybe he took that the wrong way. But is what it is. I mean, he unblocked me. Everybody came to my defense. Um didn't get the follow back, but it is what it is. <laughs> Well, shout out, Luke. Please refriend. We love you, Luke. <laughs> um, anyway, so, you know, NBA is going through a real – I mean, this is a historic moment yeah. with these 
playoffs and, and um, the protests and everything. Um, aside from that, because I mean, I think we can all agree that, you know, I think you even said it, whatever they decide is, is, is going to be fine. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, getting away from that, though, watching the playoffs, what, what are some of the things that you've taken away that have really struck you? Um, basketball wise. Yeah. Basketball. -wise. Yeah. It's, it's actually, I mean, for the most part, there have been really good games. I mean, specifically the Nuggets jazz series, you yeah. know, talking more about Donovan Mitchell, no offense, Luke, um, still <laughs> love you. But I mean, the Donovan Mitchell, Jamal Murray matchup has just been incredible to watch. They just keep one upping each other and just, it's been so much fun. The Lakers are starting to put it together Clippers are starting to put it together, but I do think that the Mavericks would be winning the series if Porzingis was healthy. I don't know that they would win in the end, but I think they'd be up right now. See, I, you know, it's so tough because we were talking about that um, with Gino Bucola right before this, and, man, it, that just looks like a team that just kind of ran out of gas a little bit too late. Yeah, I, I definitely see that for sure. On the East, uh, wow, uh, Sixers are out. You know, Ben yep. Simmons being out, I think, plays a big hand in that. Um, Hayward comes out for the Celtics. Uh, the Bucks have not been the Bucks. Vucevic has uh, slowed down Giannis, and, and the shooting hasn't showed up. Can, can a team like the Heat really make a, a, a play to make, him, make it into the finals here? If they're hitting shots, I mean, they're historically, especially with Spolstra, they're just one of the most disciplined, well-run teams in the league, and they, they're just full of dogs. I mean, they, they can get it done in the trenches, and as long as Duncan Robinson and Tyler Harrow are just hitting their shots, which there's no sign of them slowing down, I mean, they steamrolled the Pacers, who I love TJ Warren, not a big Pacers fan. They didn't have Sabonis, but... The pay, I mean, the the Pacers are still pretty good, even without Sabonis, and they just steamrolled them. I think they have a chance of of making some noise. I don't know that they will make it to the conference finals. I mean, just next up they have Milwaukee, so I don't know how that's going to go for them. But they're they're a good team. They really and they have a bunch of cap space this summer and going forward. For uh, your finals prediction, let me let me hear what your finals prediction is. I still think the Bucks come out of the East. I mean, they really haven't been the Bucks like you mentioned, but I think they're slowly starting to get it together. But I think out of the West, I think it's the Lakers. Going into yeah. this, I thought it was going to be the Clippers, but I mean, LeBron turned it on recently, and, and it really seems like if him and AD are playing how they're capable, I don't know. I don't know how the Clippers get it done against that team this year. lakers Bucks sounds like a 1973 final right now. <laughs> it's about to be legit. Yeah, seriously. It'll be fun, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what wasn't fun for me and you was uh, the draft lottery. And, and I know it's super early to be talking about the draft lottery uh, in the NBA draft in general, but – uh, wow, our Pistons got a, a rough draw. Who do you think were were the big uh, winners? Who who do you think lost maybe in the in the draft? Maybe outside the Pistons. 
I think the Knicks are the biggest losers for sure, again, um, which is fine <laughs> with me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, sure. it basically, even though the Pistons got hosed, the Knicks were pretty much the only team in that range who needs a point guard. So the Pistons sort of lucked out that they're still ahead of them, even though it's by one spot. But, I mean, the Timberwolves pending owner sale, of course, they get the number one pick. Um, but it's going to make things interesting for them if they go with Anthony Edwards. They got Malik Beasley as a free agent coming up. They got to make that decision. But And then Charlotte. I mean, this was, this was big for Michael Jordan. Do you think uh, – I, I mean, this year's class, it just seems like you have some very nice players. You don't have that, that superstar number one package. Because you can make a case for Edwards or Ball at that number yeah. one slot. Uh, you could also make a case even for Obi Toppin. You can make a case for James Wiseman uh, pending, you know, team needs and stuff. Is there a guy that's getting undervalued uh, that, that you've seen in this, uh, in the early mock drafts? I really think Obi Toppin is getting undervalued. I mean, people give him a lot of crap for his defense, which is completely justifiable. But he really has the offensive game of an Amari Stoudemire just electrifying. He can shoot. He's like just looks like a great modern NBA big. And I know there's the knock on his age and, you know, all the years in college. But, like, I think OB can be really good in the NBA. And I think his ceiling is higher than people give him credit for. I love that. Is, is there a guy that you've seen, conversely, that's being uh, overvalued? I don't quite understand the love for a Kongwu. and I don't, I, I don't either I think he's a really solid big don't get me wrong defensively he's a beast he's pretty athletic but I just I mean he can't shoot he's not your your ideal modern big and I see a lot of Pistons fans who want him if he falls to seven I just I don't get it I really don't I mean he's an undersized center who can't shoot which you know it's a little bit of a turnoff. I completely agree. I, I, I mean, he played in the Pac-12. It's not the world's greatest backs, basketball, um, especially the past few years. And I, I just don't – the bigs nowadays, it seems like teams are building through smaller, you know, uh, smaller cap hits – you don't yeah. have a big guy. It, it, you know, it's not 1993, and you have to have a Shaq at playing center to to be a contender. Yep. Um, you you on your Twitter, you you put out some really interesting stuff on Killian Hayes, and uh, you know, he's a guy that that's overseas that a lot of people aren't aware of. Fill the folks in on Killian Hayes. I think he he's someone who is really a mixed bag in terms of the perception of him. Some people value him as like a top three pick. Some people say he can, you know, slide out of the lottery. Um, Killian, the, the main knock is his athleticism. He doesn't necessarily have the quickest burst, but he's incredibly crafty. He's not slow. He's not unathletic. He's... I mean, he gets knocked for his shooting too, but that's improved over over the season. He's a really good playmaker. His main weakness, honestly, is probably his offhand, which is his right hand. But I think that's 
that's one of those things that feels like a much easier fix than a LaMelo ball jump shot mechanic overhaul. Um, but Killian, I think he can be a really good scorer. I think he's a good playmaker. He honestly reminds me of a lefty, less athletic John Morant. <laughs> that's, a, that's a strong comparison. I, yeah. I, you mentioned something interesting about LaMelo ball I want to get to in a moment, but – is there a concern in your mind that that Killian's kind of reminiscent of another uh, guy the Knicks took uh, a few years ago out of France, point guard? Uh, was it Remska? Frank, uh, what's his last name? Oh, uh, Nilakina. Nilakina, yeah. yeah. Why, why I'm saying Remska? <laughs> I have no. Nilakina. Same thing. Same thing. Same thing. Yes. It's all French. Um, not really. I mean, Neil Aquino really came in for his defense and was touted for that. And, you know, that's still a translatable skill, but offensively, I don't think he was ever really where Killian is right now. And I just think Killian can lead your offense, get you buckets, get your team involved. And you have the French connection with him and Seku, which I yes. think Obviously, it's we overstate it on Pistons Twitter how important that is. But, I mean, <laughs> making your two youngest players comfortable together, they know each other. I mean, that, that's, that can't be totally overlooked. I agree. I agree. There, I mean, familiar, familiarity breeds confidence. Um, you know, I wanted to throw a couple other names at you. Uh, we've seen Tyrese Halliburton, the guard yep. out of Iowa State, being mentioned. We've seen Isaac Okoro, the forward out of Auburn, being mentioned uh, for the Pistons slot. Is there a guy that you really, you know, outside of Killian Hayes, is there a guy that you could see fitting in there uh, for the Pistons? I I actually like Tyrese Halliburton. Um, I don't think he has the ceiling that Killian has, but I think his floor is higher. I think he's just a solid pick and can be a really solid player. Um, he, his shot is so ugly, but <laughs> he hits at such an incredible rate. It, I guess it doesn't even matter. It's a little slow though. I could see it getting blocked and contested pretty easily, but I like Halliburton. I like Devin Vassell a lot. He's sort of a three and D wing who I think can be a really solid piece. Again, sort of similar to Halliburton. I don't know how much he will really help you in a vacuum, but he's, he's the kind of guy you want on any team and can be a really good piece of this going forward, not one of the key pieces necessarily. And he showed that at Florida State. I mean, there were some games that he certainly took over. Yeah. I, I, I guess my knock on Halliburton would be, you know, is he playing point? Is he, is he a shooting guard? What, what is he? Uh, for you – What's the position of need most for the Pistons? I think it's definitely point guard. And if you can get Killian or Halliburton, it's probably the best move. But if someone like an Obi Toppin or even a James Wiseman, who I don't get me wrong, I still don't think they should build around a center. But if Wiseman falls to seven, I think you really have to consider it based on his potential upside. I mean, he was supposed to be the number one pick. Wiseman is one of those weird new breed of center where you have to be able to step out and hit a jumper and you have to, you have to have some kind of range. You have to be athletic. The, yeah. 
the days of the, uh, you know, big man, Andre Drummond, I'm just going to hang out in the post. <laughs> yep. Uh, are kind of going by the wayside. Do you, do you, uh, I got a question about that in a moment, but do you think that the, the gap between Hayes and Halliburton is, is larger or large enough to put those guys in the top 10 over some other, other point guards like uh, Cole Anthony, who was amazing at North Carolina in the, in the moments where he was healthy. Right. That's just Winston who me and you have both probably seen a ton of. Definitely. Um, and, and there's a few other point guards that are, that are in the draft that are quality players. Do you think that's a huge gap in between that you really, you firmly put those two guys ahead? I think yes, but at the same time, it, I wouldn't be opposed to trading back, you know, six, seven spots and getting maybe a Kara Lewis Jr. Yeah, that's type of another one, Kara Lewis, yep. Um, so I don't necessarily – because this draft, like you said, it's like a bunch of nice, solid players. And really the difference between three and 15 might be nothing. With uh, With – the Pistons having the seven pick, you would you would kind of hope that if you moved six or seven spots back, you can also pick up a a second round pick in there too. And there's nice players in the second round. Right. Um, outside of the Pistons, is there a team or a player that you're really interested in seeing where they end up uh, coming in? It, whether you know, I'm focusing now on on the later part of the first round or maybe early second. I think so. I'm actually, there's a few teams that I'm really curious to see what they do if they keep the pick at all. Like mm-hmm. Boston has three first round picks and they have 14 guys signed next season already. So there's not a chance they keep all three. We'll see what the price is for each of those. Um, I think the, it would be wise to inquire and see what you can get. Um, Minnesota also, I mean, they have one and 17. They'll definitely keep one, I think. Um, but I don't know that they necessarily keep 17 when they're, they're really not in rebuild mode. Now that they got D'Angelo Russell, Carl Anthony Towns is another year older. Um, it's going to be interesting. A lot of these teams, same with Portland, are they going to make win now moves and trade the pick or pick one of the more sure thing guys, low ceiling guys, or are they getting rid of it? You mentioned LaMelo Ball, and you're you're not a big fan. Uh, of course, his family is synonymous with uh, fun times and hugs and, and high fives. But what about LaMelo uh, keeps you off? Because he's been the number one guy for almost a year now. He was playing pro ball in Australia, playing against older. So, I mean, the idea that he's not going to be able to jump right into NBA competition is – is diminished that idea is right. really as prevalent but uh what about him worries you so i actually convinced myself when i thought the pistons had a chance at the number one pick that Lamelo might be the move um i think there are a lot of great things with him i think he's like a savant on the court i think he sees the game so differently and that's really important for a six seven point guard um he can get to the bucket but i mean his shot selection which you can improve, was just so bad. His shot mechanics are so bad. 
And he oftentimes will opt for like a almost a three-point floater instead of getting all the way to the rim to score. Obviously, you have the circus that comes with him, but I don't think that necessarily would be a huge problem in Detroit. Um, I feel like if he ends up in a big market, which it doesn't look like he will unless he slips to Chicago, I feel like, you know, LeVar would be a little bit quiet for the most part. But I think he's just another one of those guys in this draft that he's going to end up either being, I think, a superstar or almost a total bust. Sure. Well, you know, I I think we've talked about the Pistons a ton. Uh, Let's get into them. Um, A lot of people remember the early 2000s Pistons and remember Chauncey and and Rip and uh, Ben and just the great teams that they were putting out. But then they just kind of slowly faded away. And, you know, we're focused on LeBron and, you know, Cleveland and, and everything else. I, I, a very broad question, but, and I don't know if you can answer it succinctly, but what happened to the Pistons? I mean, it seems like everything kind of spiraled down the drain right after that rip Hamilton for Allen Iverson trade. So I think Bill Davidson dying had a lot to do with what yeah. happened. Mr. Um, Davidson was a man. You talk about yeah. an amazing owner. Oh yeah. I mean the best. Absolutely. Um, and I think that put a lot of constraint and pressure on Joe Dumars who made the Chauncey for Iverson trade, which was just a disaster. I mean, Chauncey goes on to lead the nuggets to the conference finals the next year. Pistons get swept in four to the Cavs, but it's really just reckless spending and terrible drafting is I think the simple formula Josh of how Smith, we got here. Josh Smith for what? Uh, 55 or 45. Yeah. It was a disgusting amount. Granted I was on board with it at the time. I'm not one to talk, <laughs> but I mean, it started with Ben Gordon, Charlie Villanueva, then Josh yeah. Smith, then John Lure, um, Reggie Jackson, Andre Drummond. Again, two of those I were on, I was on board with, but the results just did not come close to coming. And I think just such poor drafting for the most part. I mean, Stanley Johnson over Je- Devin Booker, even over Justice Winslow, who's a much better player, who, you know, than Stanley. Brandon Knight over Kemba. Luke Kennard over Donovan Mitchell. I mean, I still think Luke is a really solid player and will be an 18-point-per-game scorer, but Donovan Mitchell's a superstar already. Yeah, and I, you know, a lot of people harken back to that, and it's like that's not the one you, you want to look at I, in yeah. my perspective because Luke Kennard, I mean, the Pistons have gotten – that's the one guy they get calls on because yeah. everybody in the league realizes Luke Kennard, we love you, Luke, this may <laughs> – this may this show I think is going to be entitled "We Love You, Luke." Yep, um, <laughs> and we love you, Luke Kennard. And, and the guy is just—he's versatile. He's a solid player. And yes, I. You know what? I I fully envision him in that. Uh, you know, like another Dookie in that JJ Redick role. A guy that's going to be on a lot of winning teams. A guy that's yeah. going to be playing deep into the playoffs eventually and it's it's unfortunately not gonna be with the pistons because i don't think they 
I don't think they're going to be ready in, a, in any time soon, right? Yeah, I don't think so either. I mean, but something Luke has over J.J. Redick, J.J. might be a better sniper, but I think Luke that he gets undervalued for is a really good playmaker, yep. mainly secondary playmaker. I mean, you don't necessarily want him being your point guard, but I think, you know, you have him on the floor with Blake or D. Rose, and he really makes things happen for everybody. But it's it's going to be some time. I like in a perfect world, it's sort of a, a two year rebuild, starting now. This last season didn't count. That was just injuries got us here. But do you think, do you think the NBA rebuilds can go much quicker? Because I mean, if you look at the the Sixers, uh, <laughs> the process, right? I mean, yep. the process took six seven years, and some some luck involved in that and now the Sixers are a real team but I, I mean it, it can take quite some time what what makes you positive that two years is is a viable idea it it kind of hinges on if you keep Christian Wood what you get from Luke whether it's you move him which I hope they don't but if you do move him you can probably get a good first round pick out of it um it, and it hinges on, you know, Seku's development. But we saw really big jumps from Sfi and Bruce yeah. Brown this year. Yep. Um, if we hit on the draft the next two, three years, much better spot. But I think, especially with the cap that's about to totally shrink because of COVID, or at least it's going to stay the same, um, unlike the six or seven million more that was projected to jump. Um, Pistons are one of like five teams with space who can absorb bad contracts over the next two years, especially teams that want to clear cap space for next summer, which is when Giannis is a free agent and all those big guys. I think they can, can expedite the rebuild, sort of do what Memphis did, which is you gather solid role players for picks. You trade those role players for more picks because they're an expiring contract and they can help a playoff team or young players doesn't have to be picks. Um, and I think they're in the best position to do that now. I don't think it's going to be, they're going to get the number one pick in the next two years and it's going to be all over. But I think smart drafting in the one to seven range over the next couple of years, take on some good assets for bad salary and just develop the hell out of your young guys. And then uh, get Imani Bates and, and we all uh, just hang out with the chip. Yes, please. <laughs> uh, you, you mentioned something in there about about Memphis and, and their uh, building. I, I see the I see how you tied that in. Mm -hmm. Is Christian Wood the guy to be down low? Because I I mean I've seen him be. You know, he's he's a roller coaster. I mean, sometimes it mm -hmm. looks like he just has amazing games, and then other games he's on the side of a milk carton, and you wonder what happened. Uh, is is Dwayne Casey the head coach? Is what's your impression of him? Is he is he fully behind Christian Wood, or are they looking for the next? I think he is. I mean, he really took a tough love approach to him this year. I mean, there were all the maturity questions coming into the year about Christian Wood. And based on everything Casey and the front office has said later half of the year, all that's resolved. And I think 
we all hated it at the beginning. I mean, Thon Maker playing over Christian Wood should get you fired immediately. But, I mean, he was sort of showing Christian Wood, like, you got to earn this. You got to earn these minutes. You got talent, and that'll get you far. But you can go so much farther if you're mature, if you come to work every day. I think they have a, a good mutual respect. It sounds like Christian Wood wants to stay, hopefully. Um but I think I don't think Christian Wood's your center of the future. I think he's really better suited at the four. So in my mind, I think he's Blake Griffin's replacement, and hopefully you can get a young center like a Harry Giles, or if you end up drafting a James Wiseman, which I kind of hope they don't, but if he falls to you, a James Wiseman Christian Wood front court is is pretty big, long, and can shoot. And I think that that could be a decent recipe going forward. Um, so I think Christian Wood should be your four of the future. Long story short. You know, it's funny. We're, we're almost, uh, 20 some odd minutes in and we haven't talked about Blake Griffin or Derek Rose. Yeah. Who, if people forget, they, they are, they're on the Detroit Pistons. Um, let's start with Blake. He's a guy who, you know, he's going to get injured every year. Right for the most part, why haven't the Pistons moved him and his very large contract? And he's, he's a very, he's, he's still got talent. He's still producing. And there are games that he's won, especially not last this past season, but the season before uh, there was plenty of opportunity to move him. Why didn't they? And is, what's the best role for Blake? Is it rotationally now? So they didn't move him last, last season, because I think that they just thought they had a chance of getting ahead of the eight seed and not getting destroyed by the bucks. Um, And then unfortunately it was too late by the time next season came around because he played his knee into the ground in the playoffs. And then it was just, you know, more surgeries. But I think, I mean, so I actually, I tweeted this the other day. I think that if Blake is healthy, granted, you know, by healthy, I mean like 65 plus games, which is, I think is as good as you can sort of expect with load management and injury situations. And if Derek Rose is healthy, I think it could be beneficial for this team to make the playoffs. If it's basically them two plus the young guys leading them there, don't go out and sign a friend, Fred Van Vliet. Don't go out and make any trades that do anything but help you in the future. But if Blake is healthy enough and D Rose is healthy enough and you've had enough progress this summer, which this summer will end up being like a full year for the Pistons. But I think that could be advantageous. But if he's healthy and you're playing well, you might be better off trading him at the trade deadline because they haven't traded him at this point because it will cost an asset or two to move his contract. But another year is off the contract now. If he's healthy enough, maybe you convince a team like Portland or Phoenix or someone who's looking to be more relevant right now and is already playing decently enough to get there, they might be able to get rid of him for, for not giving up any assets. They might be able to get something back too. But... With no trades, I think just keep him in the role he's in. You know, he'll still have his high usage rate, hopefully lower than it's been. But it really just depends. It depends how his health is, depends how the Pistons are playing. 
and it depends who they draft and sign. No, D Rose is uh, with the Pistons, and and when he signed that deal, a lot of people were like, "That's weird." He must be going out the pasture without realizing that Arn Tellum is in uh, upper management. Uh, you know, the Lakers were kicking the tires. I know a few other teams were, but Derrick Rose is on a pseudo no trade clause. Do you think that that ever gets taken away or is he just going to ride out his days with the Pistons? That's interesting. I mean, I think it could benefit everybody to keep him here at least until the trade deadline, assuming they draft the point guard, because I think that a young point guard can learn a whole ton from Derrick Rose. You know, they admire him and they respect him, and I think going to work with him every day could be really beneficial for a rookie. Um, I think I don't think the Pistons, because of the relationship with Arn and D Rose, would trade him to anyone that's not contending. I think there are probably good winning situations out there for him. And if he's still healthy like he was at the beginning of last year, I mean, similar with Blake, like if you get 65 plus out of him, that's great. And, you know, you can hopefully count on him in the playoffs. But like he showed, he can still take over games, he can still play at an MVP level in spurts. He's still a really good player. And I think if you get more than a late first round pick for him, you probably have to do it, especially on his expiring deal. All right. Uh, I mean, I, if I can hire you as the GM, hopefully uh, we can get some of these smart moves <laughs> enacted. I'm in. Uh, unfortunately, um, Tom Gores is uh, the owner and, I have, uh, I, I just, I just think of when he was, uh, you know, inducting Chauncey, Chauncey family, you know, just, uh, just drunk and slurring and uh, just not when it doesn't seem like he actually really is interested in basketball. Uh, that'll let you know what I think of him. Sure. What do you think about Tom Gores? Can the Pistons, even if they make smart decisions, can, can they overcome him? So I actually, I agree with that for the first few years of his ownership. And I really think to me from the outside looking in, it seems like he's taken his hand off the wheel. He's really let basketball minds be in control. And it seems like he's giving every single resource at the front office or the coaching staff or the training staff and scouting and like everybody asks for at this point, basically since Stan left, it seems like everybody, so the last few years, everyone in the organization just raves about what he does for them and, you know, the opportunity and the resources he gives them. Um, it, it feels like early on he overstepped. And obviously, you know, drunk throwing T-shirts at every single public appearance isn't a him good with, look. Him with the T-shirt gun is dead. Yeah. <laughs> but... It seems like he's sort of learned that in order for the team to be successful, he needs to be hands off and just sort of give the smart people what they need. You know, not saying he's not smart, obviously he has money for a reason, but in, in running a team, it really just seems like he's building a good front office infrastructure. And especially with Troy Weaver now, like it seems like just the right people are in the right place. So I think he's, yeah. 
sorry to cut you off. Trey Weaver was just uh, hired as the assistant GM or the GM is because I know it's a weird it's a weird situation in that front office. So he's the GM, and then Ed Stefanski is staying on as senior advisor. He was okay. sort of acting GM the last few years, but. It just seems like I totally see all of the criticism of Tom Gores, but it feels like to me over the last three, four years, he's really taken his hand off of the wheel and got the right people in charge. Troy Weaver comes from OKC where, you know, everybody looks at what OKC did with uh, Harden, Westbrook, and Duran and is Troy Weaver for real? Is is he a, a you know an Ujiri type um, you know prospect on the market, or is he just a guy that was there? I think he's for real. I mean, this is based on just the OKC have done a great job. I mean, especially recently with the Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, you know, situation where they got a ton of picks to give up Paul George so that the Clippers can get both those guys. Um, and Shea Gilgis Alexander, Chris Paul, who, you know, the, the Thunder, they were supposed to be rebuilding this year. No one thought they were going to do anything, but they got a ton of picks and young players, and they still made the playoffs. So I think being a part of just a stable, well run organization has helped him. His name has been coming up in the league over the last five years. Um, whenever there's a GM spot open, I don't know a ton of what he did in OKC, but everybody in the league and sources and whatnot just rave about him and say that he's the next in line. So I hope and think that he's the real deal. I guess we'll see. But I think he's going to make smart moves to help this team get back to where they need to be. Well, I can't thank you enough for joining me today. Jordan, where can the good people find you? Just Twitter, Pistons Thoughts, got the podcast, get some merch. Um, I'm a contributor for Piston Powered. Just find me talking out of my head all day. <laughs> I, I do enjoy it. I, when, I, when I stumbled across uh, one of your tweets, it was, it was liked uh, by, by somebody on my feed. And I was like, oh, you were breaking down the future roster. And I'm like, oh, this guy's pretty keyed in. And then I started reading and – um, it, it's great not only if you're a Pistons fan, but an NBA fan, because you're not just talking Pistons. You're talking a whole bunch of other stuff. Your your draft breakdowns have been really cool. So I can't thank you enough for coming on. And uh, we'll be looking for Pistons thoughts wherever you get your podcasts uh, on iTunes, Spotify. That's coming soon, right, Jordan? Yes, sir. And I appreciate you having me, Sue. This was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, no worries. Hey, don't worry. We'll, we're going to be calling you back uh, down the road, um, hopefully during this uh, draft prep when we read up and, and we get a little bit more feel for these guys after a combine. Um, but that will wrap it up for the show today. Uh, for Jordan, for Gino, for myself, thank you, and we will catch you next week for the Kentucky Derby. Later.